Porter QI presents Quality for the Rest of Us with Gail Porter. Investigating the mysterious world of healthcare in search of adventurous innovation and exciting solutions from professionals across the nation. I recently saw an article about a new AI doctor in a box that was being piloted in shopping malls around the country. Just jump inside the box and the bot doc will check you out. The program is being piloted by Adrian Ayun, founder of tech startup Forward. And what Ayun said about the new tech was very striking. He said, Slowly but surely, we're just migrating every single thing from doctor and nurse to hardware and software. In fact, we don't even believe a doctor's office should exist. And then he provided his rationale for replacing medical staff. Quote, The key limiting factor of a doctor's office and I say this with all due respect, is the doctors. They're super expensive, and there's not many of them. End of quote. Ayun is not alone in this vision. There is a raw, nearly salivating delight from the financial wings of the healthcare industry over the potential of artificial intelligence to replace expensive staff, all while producing intellectual property with profit potential. Using terms like augment, enhance, and decision support. There is a winsome component for leaders who consider that AI does what it is told. It does not argue or submit opposing research to new policies. If you ask AI for something, it will give it to you, even if it has to make it up. In contrast, most clinicians sound more like the witch from the Princess Bride hollering boo, hiss, at every mention of AI. Where's the disconnect? It's as if the financial decision makers of the healthcare industry have already determined that we have AI to make decisions now. So there's no need to worry about clinical staff shortages anymore. And when did obedience take priority over clinical excellence? How chained to that blue screen are we really? And what can we do to innovate a better future out of this stifling environment? I keep listening in on talks and seminars where the healthcare executives eagerly craft preliminary plans for laying off half the clinical staff because of some new clinical decision support program where AI is going to either seamlessly replace the family doctor or perform most of the work as they withdraw to the status of a white-cloaked figurehead and let the machine do the job. All too often, the reality of decision support sounds suspiciously like decision-making hostage. By withholding funding unless clinicians comply with rejection protocols and AI programming. And it's not just doctors that are complaining. Patients are starting to speak up. Even children have noticed some undesirable changes from poorly integrated technology. In the book Compassionomics, the revolutionary scientific evidence that caring makes a difference, authors Trisiziak and Mazzarelli noted that children have stopped drawing pictures of their pediatricians smiling in a white coat with a stethoscope. Instead, when children draw pictures of doctors today, they illustrate them at a desk, facing a computer, with their back to the child. Athena Health even made a commercial where a child is imitating a doctor at a laptop, and when his parents applaud the caricature, he holds up his finger to silence them. They slink away, noting that the impression is quite good. Yet patients who are ostensibly still the primary customers in healthcare, hate this new reality. They were promised the ability to keep their family doctor. 
yet they find themselves struggling to access any human at all. When the gatekeepers are lines of code who are committed to reducing such costly interaction. Want to speak to an agent? Good luck. Want to see your doctor? We have someone else you might see in a year. Want to discuss your bill? Well, our bots will email you. Can't access your chart? We didn't think testing on a patient population was necessary for the launch, and now we offer no support or maintenance to you. But check out our FAQs or chat with our bot to get a canned, irrelevant answer. And it's not that I'm some Luddite that hates technology. This bothers me so much because it's just shoddy work. We could make such amazing products out of the technology we have available. We could help real people live better lives. This is the age of the iPhone, after all, and we're hobbling around with archaic ideas that cost more than it ever should. Part of the problem is in the development of health tech. AI is not the enemy, but the sloppy application of it by misguided leaders is hurting a lot of people. First, we need to ask if the clinical team was invited to the table for idea generation, selection, development, and testing. And did the clinical team have direct patient care experience? Or did that clinical voice graduate with a degree, some business aspirations, and zero desire to interact with real patients? Because those who work with patients in the office or at the bedside are paying the price for that avoidance in the design and workflow. I personally know of tech companies laying off the only clinical voice on the team because they didn't see their role as relevant to the dev process. If patients knew that there was no clinical input on their health tech, they would drop it and the reputation and public trust in the company would drop dramatically. Why are we risking this type of fallout with the public? Second, we should consider whether tech is being developed to replace clinical staff or is it being created to improve and augment healthcare services? A lot of new tech simply duplicates a task poorly with a not-so-secret purpose to replace those expensive credentials. Replacing human beings with robots in healthcare is not innovative if the machine cannot provide the same level of care or better. It's irresponsible and dangerous for our patients. Third, is the workflow efficient and engaging? Dr. Margaret Lozovatsky, president of Digital Health Innovations for the American Medical Association, recently shared on the AMA Update podcast that, quote, the fear is that technology will be an extra layer between us and the patient, end of quote. She adds that a lot of the fears expressed by clinicians revolve around concerns that the tech is going to replace tasks that used to be between the physician and patient and perhaps not perform them as accurately or as well and as diligently as a clinician can. Finally, I would like to state the obvious. Developing healthcare tech is expensive. More expensive than training people to do the same tasks. And it is shockingly expensive to create these tools and then look for places to plug them in, rather than co-creating with the market audience. The difference is that the costs for these developments are initially borne by investors, hoping to score the next Amazon or Uber-level return on their investments. However, healthcare organizations should not imagine that they won't bear the brunt of those costs if the tech wasn't developed with clinical input. I've heard all kinds of promises made by AI developers, and the implementation has been nothing short of disastrous. Expensive and disastrous. Even the simple act of replacing a customer service rep 
with AI took Air Canada into litigation when their chatbot gave an airline customer the wrong data. Data that it made up on the spot. They lost that lawsuit. Imagine the exponential danger that scenario brings to patient data, much less patient care. These kinds of decisions will only worsen the loss of trust that the healthcare industry continues to experience at increasing levels year over year. Yet the awareness at decision-making levels of the damage caused by inappropriate tech is correspondingly low. But that doesn't mean that there are no areas for this new tech to excel at in healthcare. For example, we could create built-in feedback loops to increase engagement about errors and improvements, and then use AI Natural Language Processing, or NLP, to sort these and highlight the categories with the greatest opportunity for development. For example, a study in October used NLP to scour 150,000 nurse comments about the workplace. Using Glassdoor posts to gather and categorize important topics, and evaluate the frequency and weight of workplace issues. Emerging themes like toxic culture and differences between contract and travel nursing positions provided a window into the profession that had not yet been revealed by traditional workplace surveys delivered by employers. Yet there was no loss of trust because these comments were publicly available and ripe for review. I would love to see this type of consolidated qualitative data in the evaluation stage of more healthcare studies, and I would also love to see the code-based gatekeepers disappear. Give me a warm face at the front door and my favorite doctor in the office, and then use AI to devour my feedback afterwards to make the experience even better. This sentiment is critical because a lot of patients are turning to their essential oil supplier rather than a healthcare business for reasons like this. Others refuse to use healthcare at all because the chasm of suspicion and frustration has become too wide to cross. And we should care about them because we know that a lack of preventive care has a tendency to increase costs for everyone. Does your tech have a clinical voice? Do your patients actually use it? Do you have a team who can receive feedback about tech problems and troubleshoot them in a methodical and evidence-based manner? Without these key elements, your newest million-dollar AI program is just code clutter. AI is able to make up the answers we want to hear because it has no concept of truth or consequences for being right or wrong. But patients hold us accountable because they do feel those consequences in loss of quality, days at work, and even loss of life. And we should never forget that there are plenty of things machines will never replace when it comes to health care, like the care part of the word. Speaking of his own experience while fighting for his life in the ICU, Dr. Edward D. Viner, founding director of the Center for Humanism at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University, recalled what got him through a life-threatening experience. Quote, After weeks of being on a ventilator in the ICU, I could tell right away when a new nurse came on duty at the change of shift and entered my room. I could tell within one minute whether or not the nurse cared. If it was a nurse who did not care, my heart would sink. My spirit was crushed. I lost my will and I did not believe that I would ever get off the ventilator. But if it was a nurse who cared, one of my angels, I would instantly feel stronger. I believed I could beat this and breathe on my own again. Without my angels, I would never have made it. Their compassion is what saved me. 
To forget this part of caring for the sick would bring the business of healthcare to bankruptcy. Clinicians want to care for patients, to be their angels. And patients need human care like plants need sunshine and water. We must never forget this truth, no matter how much the chatbots may try to convince us otherwise. Thanks for listening to Quality for the Rest of Us. If you found this episode helpful, please consider liking and subscribing so you'll be notified when future episodes come out. If you have thoughts or questions, you can email qforus at porterqi.com. And if you're interested in joining our community, visit porterqi.com. You'll find podcast archives, helpful articles, innovative tools, and a knowledgeable group of professionals just like you. That's porterqi.com. I hope to see you there.